John 6, um, verses 52 through 71 is where we'll be at this morning. Um, This morning, when I walk you through this text, um, what we'll see, there's not a lot of application that I'm going to have all the way through. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to teach this passage and I'm going to show you at the very end what it means to have a heart of a disciple. What does it look like to have the heart of a disciple? And so in John chapter 6, you have probably one of the most famous things about John chapter 6 is the very beginning when you see uh, the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people and they're all starving. And so what happens is uh, Jesus tells his disciples to go find food. And what happens? What comes back? Five loaves and two fish. And there's, I'm sure there's a song about it that we can sing this morning, but we're not. Um, and so what happens is he takes that food and he multiplies it out to where the multitudes are now fed. And we see 5,000, we read it in, in, the, in the text and we think, okay, 5,000 people. And it's actually just 5,000 men. Um, there were women and children that would have been present as well. So it probably was upward to 25,000 people, something around there. So it would be like half of Dowdy Ficklin Stadium on a, on a good day. That's what it would be like. So think about half of Dowdy Ficklin Stadium here in Greenville and they're all starving. And then they're all fed. And so what happens is this crowd is, they're all fed. They're waiting for Jesus to do the next miracle, to do the next thing for them. In fact, they're waiting the very next day. They're still waiting around for what is Jesus going to do next? And so what does Jesus do? He gets up and he, Jesus says very weird things in scripture. Okay. I don't know if you know that or not, but here he says something really bizarre. He says, I am the bread of life. And he he tells them feast on me. And they're, they're like, what? And then it goes down to 52, 53 of chapter six of John. And then Jesus makes these really bizarre comments. And then what we're going to see is the crowd is going to leave him for what he says. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink my blood, you will have no life in you. Is that weird or what? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has what? Eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I believe and I live because the father, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now here is what's really bizarre. Like Jesus, I want you to, I want you to get the feeling that the disciples and the Jews would have felt in that moment. Like, okay, we live on this side of the cross 
every single week we hear of, okay, as you respond to the gospel, you come to the table, and what does the table represent? Well, the blood, uh, the, the blood represents the, uh, the cup represents the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross, and the bread represents the body that was crushed on the cross and was bruised for, for our sins, and we, we say that every single week, and so we live in that, we know that symbolism, right? They had no idea of that symbolism, they did not have what we have. They didn't have the Lord's Supper. They, they were like living the Lord's Supper. So get this picture of Jesus saying, okay, it's not about the physical things that you get. It's about partaking in the gospel. It's about partaking me. That's a very, very strange statement that Jesus makes. Partake me. And now we know this because we live on this side of the cross. We realize that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the place uh, for our sins. He rose from the grave and he conquered the penalty of our sins. And if we repent and believe in the gospel, we have a new life. And, and so we, we understand, okay, that's what that means, being a partaker of God. But, but they did not understand it. And so what happens was the, the crowd, they went to Jesus because of something that they could get out of him rather than getting him. And, and this is the gospel. The gospel is this. You don't come to Christ for what you can get out of him. You come to Christ because he is what you get. That's the gospel. And so, are you, I mean, that's a good point, right? I mean, I'm the sick one here, okay? Um, is there anyone else sick? I mean, that's because that is the truth of the gospel. We come to him because he is the treasure. He is what you get. And so they miss this point. They didn't, they didn't grasp what Jesus was saying. And then we see it because of what happens next. Verse 60. And when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are the spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And then John says, for he knew that from the beginning, it was those who did not believe and those who would betray him. Later on, he's going to talk about Judas in, in just a moment. In verse 65, he says this, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now, before we even get into the heart of a disciple, we have to know where our salvation comes from. Because what separates us from the crowd, what, what keeps us in the game, so to speak, what keeps us intentionally focused on God? Is it us or is it God? I would say, biblically, it's God. It's his pursuit of us. And this is how we know. Like, you wonder, okay, how in the world is Jesus able to read minds? Like, wouldn't he be the most frustrating person to be around in the world? He shows his divinity in that way and displays it, even though he's 100% man, 100% God. But in this way, he he knows what you're thinking, like he's using the force whenever he can to, 
get inside your brain. And I mean, that, that's, why he was, that's why he was single, right? What's the mess with that? But that, that's it. I mean, that, but, but they're around this guy and he knows everything that they're thinking at certain points in scripture. At least we see that in scripture in certain points. He knows what's in the hearts of the crowds, knows what's in the hearts of the disciples. And here, man, he, he knows what's in the hearts of the crowd. Why? Because of what he says. They, the spirit gives life. Spirit gives life. He would be able to know they have life because that's something that the spirit gives them. That's why Jesus, in the, throughout the gospels, he's able to forgive sin because he's God. That's something that God can do. He can grant grace and repentance he can restore people to the Father. He's the ministry of reconciliation. So he knows who the believers are. And so this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit gives us new life. This is what he's talking about. In Romans 8, Paul says it this way, verses 1 and 2. Now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, uh, for the law of, the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. In other words, for us to become believers, something supernatural has to take place in our lives. And I want us to think about just a moment what the disciples would have heard when they would have been in relationship with Jesus. The way that the disciple would have understood their relationship with Jesus is this. They would have thought, my relationship with Jesus is I follow him, I do what he says. I listen to his teachings. I try to replicate the way that he lives his life. And that would be it. But listen, what Jesus is introducing here to the crowd and to the Jews is this idea of new birth. No, it's not about just doing the good things that Jesus did. It's about getting a new life, getting a new heart. And that's something that the Spirit of God does. That's why it's not about obeying a law. It's about a new heart. It's about a new life. That's what the Spirit does. Now, how does that happen? But he says it in verse 65. What does he say in 65? It must be granted by the Father. And this is a theme that runs deep through the Gospel of John. You even see it in um, uh, the same chapter. You notice what he says in verse 65, I've told you before. Well, before was verse 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me, what's the word? Draws him, unless he's drawn. Simply put, if you are a believer, you became a believer because you were drawn by the father. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And there is no way that you and I, in and of ourselves, have the power to denounce sin on our own and obey and follow Jesus. No, something supernatural has to take place in our life, and that is the Father draws us, the spirit gives us new life. So that's a part of what salvation offers us. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is just a plain reading of scripture and it's an incredible truth because what it does is it shapes the way that we see the gospel and it shapes the way that we see ourselves as true 
disciples of God. And so, listen, what we see next is something very interesting. So Jesus lays out this very stra- these very strange statements, right? Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. The Father must draw you. And then what happens, if you want to empty a crowd, you say those things. Because that's exactly what happens. Look in verse 66. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So the ones left, they were not ready to hear his word. Their hearts were hardened to the gospel. And the ones that stayed, though, let's talk about why they stayed. Well, they stayed because that's what the father did. The father wooed them. He brought them into this relationship. And this is very important. And by the way, we talk about this idea of wooing us. It's not like he's trying to impress us or he's trying to take us out on a date and slowly like get to know it. No, it's like the language. I love um, the way that um, Dr. R.C. Sproul explains this idea of drawing it's, it's like taking water from a well. You don't try to say, come on up, water. I got something really nice for you. It's really pretty up here, right? No, you put a bucket down there and you pull it up. And that's what the father did. He said, you're a sinner and you need a savior. And I'm going to save you. And it's not anything that you've done. There's nothing that you could do. It's not by works. It's by faith in Christ Alone, And that's what keeps us in the game, so to speak. It's the father who initiates that relationship with us. Now, that truth shapes us in this way because like here, here was my disposition before I saw this in scripture. I had this view of God where it was like this. Jesus is my, the religion that I have. And this means that I have made a wise choice to follow him. And so when I would go and evangelize, I did, I did um, some uh, inner city ministry in New York City where I would go and share the gospel in the streets of New York and meet people. And when I meet like Mormons and Jehovah's Witness and like, you know, Muslims, I would be like, I've made the right choice. I'm going to show you why yours is wrong, Right. Mormons, that's a softball. You started with a 13-year-old kid in like, in, in what, where is it again? Salt Lake City. Give me a break. Missouri. Like, you know, and I, I would just find a way to like, you know, pin him to the wall, right? And walk away like, yeah, I showed him. And then, and then you got like, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses and I can like take him to the Greek New Testament and show them how, you know, they built their whole foundation on something that's faulty. And I could like, I, I knew how to do those things and like Muslims and, or any other, any other religion. I could go, okay, if you go to your, where your God, your, you know, your prophet was buried, you know, I bet you his bones are still there. But if you go to the grave where, you know, he's, you know, he's alive and he's well, you know, I would just walk away with this kind of like bravado, like, okay, I've chose the reasonable faith. And I could do the whole, like, here's why the Bible's reliable, you know, 1,500 year span, 40 different offers. They all coincide with each other. And they, the, all the prophets that were, you know, said were true. And there's more original copies in Plato, Plato's Republic. And I could, like, you know, talk about that for days. And I'd walk away, like, I've made a wise choice. Those people are fools. That's not true. Okay? It's not true that I made a wise choice. It's true that 
This is a very bizarre story. And in fact, Paul says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. In fact, Paul says it's the stench of death to those who are perishing. So how is it that Ben Tugwell became a believer? It's no, the father said, I'm gonna give you grace. It's nothing that you've done. I'm gonna give this to you. It's out of my grace and my love for you that you would be one with the father. And so this happens in a believer's life when we start to see the sovereignty of God in all things and how gracious and kind that he is to open their eyes to the gospel. But then what Jesus is going to do next, and this is where we're really gonna see the heart of a disciple. We begin to see the goodness of God in our lives. And then it narrows down to what does a believer begin to look like? How do they begin to live and act? This is what he says in verse 67. Jesus answered to them, did I not choose you the 12? Wait a minute, did I skip it? I did, 66, my bad, sorry about that. Um, Yeah, 66, that's a better one. All right, I was like, wait, how am I gonna build on that? Um, Okay. (laughs) After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom uh, shall we go? You have words of what? Eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One. Jesus answered them, there it is. When I chose you, the 12, and, you, and one of you is the devil, and he spoke of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Now, the point of this section is not Judas necessarily. There's a whole other sermon I've done of how even God was sovereign over the act of Judas's betrayal so that Jesus would inevitably go to the cross and die in our place. But the point that I want you to see is verse 67. What does Jesus, what does Peter say to Christ? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What does that mean? It means this. You and I were given this unwarranted favor by God because of his goodness and his grace that we are believers in him if we are believers. And not only that, he's given you and I his word that sustains us and it constantly draws us into greater fellowship with the Father. And this is why they are words of eternal life. This is why he gives you that phrase because he's showing you these words lead to a path of eternal life. It's the direction that God wants to take you. So as you open the word and walk through God's word, it will only lead you to greater joy in him and eternal life. And so this is the heart of a disciple. A disciple is one who believes in a very basic idea is that his words are eternal. 
these words offer and give eternal life. So I don't want you to leave here and go, if I want eternal life, I have to read the Bible. Because not, it's, it's not necessarily true about what I, the point that I'm trying to make. But here, here's what I'm saying. God's word has called you to himself. Not only that, God's word keeps and sustains you for eternal life. Jesus says it this way. Let me un- unpack this idea a little bit more. John 8, same book, just a few chapters later, Jesus says this, 31. If you abide in my what? If you abide in my word, you are kind of my disciples. No, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. The word truly here is what I want you to see. You are truly my disciples. What does this mean? What well, it implies that there are those who are fake disciples. They think they are disciples, but they are not. They, the word truly can even be translated really. Really my disciples are ones who abide in the words. They, those are the real disciples. And so there are people Based on what Jesus is saying here, it implies that there are people who think they are disciples, but they are deceived. So here's what I don't want you to, I don't want you to go, okay, so his disciples abide in his word. So I don't want you to go, okay, there's varsity level disciples. And those are the ones who abide in the word. And the rest of us were just like junior varsity, you know, disciples. No, he's saying If you are a disciple, you will abide in his word. And by the way, you could just change the word disciple and put believer because a believer is a disciple. If you are a believer, you will abide in his word. So let me me just unpack this even more. Early on uh, in a believer's life, God gives us a passion and a heart to know his word. That, that, that's what he does. Because that's how you're going to grow to love him. It's going to, you're going to abide in his word. At the point of salvation, God gives you his spirit to live in you. And, and Jesus says it this way, that the spirit will teach you all truth. That's what the spirit does in your life if you're a believer. And he's always going to draw you to his word because he inspired it. And so you're always going to long for this. And so like when I became a believer, I, I, was, I was a young kid. My family didn't go to church. I became a believer at a school that I was put in to help me because I struggled through school uh, a lot, especially my elementary years. And um, I was put in this Christian school and they had like a school revival. And like only Christian schools get away with that. Like, like we're not gonna have class today. We're gonna hear from God's word. Like, but that's what we did. And I remember um, sitting in the room and I'd heard a bunch of different speakers that year. I just remember one guy just got up and just shared the gospel. Just shared the gospel. This is what Jesus did for you. This is what, you know, happened. this is how you trust him. This is what it means to trust him. You know? And so we did the invitation, Right? Just as I am. And then, you know, like, 
Um, and like an hour later, you know, like um, we're still there. But, um, but I remember hearing the gospel and I remember going, God's talking to me. Like that God is talking. Does this guy know me? Like I was, remember just thinking something's not right. Like I'm now I'm at, my life is interrupted and God is speaking to me. And so I, I, I walked out and I came down to the front of the altar and I, I prayed. I don't think that's, that prayer not, is not the thing that saved me. It was the fact that I surrendered my life to Christ that saved me. But, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. When I came down front, another kid came. That's how that works, by the way. Somebody comes down front, somebody else. Um, and so um, I came down front, another kid came down with me. Same classroom. He was, I think he was just a couple desks down from me and we prayed together. And the pastor led us through a prayer and we said the same exact prayer, right? And we repented and believed. And I got up in front of everybody and everybody cheered and you know, I got baptized later in my church. It was all, you know. And so, but I remember like knowing something's not, Something's not the same about me. I'm different. Like I wanted to read the Bible. Um, it couldn't get me to read anything. Now all of a sudden I want to know God. I want to know who he is and what, what, what I'm supposed to do to live for him and all those things. And so, but as I watched this other guy, I didn't, I didn't see that. And it wasn't like I was better than him. In fact, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure like I was probably the worst student there. So what was different about that, well, there was a transformation that took place in my life. And so as I saw him, years later even, through, I saw him, you know, times I'm running through high school, nothing was showing that he loved Jesus. So what do you do with that, right? Well, so here's the thing. How will we know if his confession here was real? Because here's, here's how. If God sustains me to live to be in our, my 70s and then sustains him to be in his 70s and we meet up and we talk, you know what? We're going to have some very basic things that God has shown us over the years that we've agreed on, that, ha- that we can have fellowship around. Why? Because a true disciple abides in his word. The spirit of God draws you to the word of God and you're, you're going to grow in your love for him. And so, which means this. If you want to know whether or not Ben Tugwell was a believer, any of us are believers, you can look at me now and hopefully you'll see fruit in my life. That was funny. I know. Um, but how do you, how will you really know how we really know? Because at the end of my life, you put a Bible beside me on my deathbed. I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to say if I'm a believer. I'm not going to say those words were not real helpful for me. I'm not going to say those words became less important to me over the years. Those words became less real to me over the years. I'm not going to say that. In fact, I'm going to say, I wish I read it more. I wish I was in it more. I wish I was following more. I wish I could have done these things better. But what I saw toward the end of my life was his love and his grace is so much more sufficient. 
And this word is so much more true than it's ever been before. And that's what happens in a believer's life. A believer is going to grow in his love for Christ. And this is the heart of a disciple. This is what it means to be a disciple, is that you have the heart and you know that in God's word is eternal life that gives you a new life in him, in heaven and glory forever, but it sustains you as you live on this earth to follow him. And so this morning, if you want a basic understanding of what a disciple is, is this. It's a person who lives and believes that this word offers eternal life. So the question then comes up, okay, how do we do this as a church? Like, how do we disciple people, right? How do we get people to see how these words are eternal life? And if we abide in him, we are truly his disciples. How do we, how do, we do that? So a couple of things. We want to preach faithfully God's word. We want to open God's word and just preach through it verse by verse if we can and, and teach you the best way we can to be faithful as we can to God's word. We want to do that. But that's not going to be enough for you. If you're like coming on Sunday and you're like, okay, I like, you know, man, this is exciting. We're going through Acts. And do, but you're not like in community doing that. You're, you're missing out a ton. You're, you're missing the opportunity to really work through and dive in scripture with someone else. So if you're not in a small group, we got them, we got them we're launching them in uh, next, wait, yeah, next, the week after next Sunday. Yeah. That makes sense, right? The 29th, the 19th, 19th. Gosh, it's the meds, man. I'm, it's, you know, it's, just, it's kicking in now. Um, how much more time we got? Okay. Um, but make sure, that be in community with other believers. But then, okay, so we're in community. You're, in, you're studying God's word together. We're talking about it. You know, we're taking what we learn on Sundays. We talk about it in small group. We pray around it. We confess sin together. We do, we, we, um, we're all mission together and we pray for one another, all these things. But like, what happens next? Well, we always say, well, okay, we want people to scatter and one-to-one discipleship happens. Well, how does that happen? Well, we've tried like a ton of things. We try to like set people up, but it's really awkward because it feels like it's like a weird date thing. Like, you know, I think you'd be a good match for something. You know, so it feels really bizarre, right? So like, what, 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 what do people go through? Well, what always happens, two guys get together and they talk about, you know, fantasy football, two girls talk together and they can talk about guys. So it's like, okay, we can't, we can't do that. Um, sorry, did I offend somebody? Um, so how, how do we do this? And we just, we've, we've, we look, we've even tried to write, we started writing curriculum and like, we've, we've like, okay, here's some books that people can go through if they want to sign. We're like, well, what? But we have right here words of eternal life. So what if we just encourage people to break up and say, okay, not break up like if you're married, but like break up in the group. So again, Med's talking. Um, break up in smaller groups of people where people meet one-to-one and they just read God's word together. And they say, let's just let the Lord speak to us today through his word. Let's talk about what we're learning. So how do we help people do that well? And so we have uh, a great resource that we want to, introduced to you this morning, and it's, um, it's this book. It's called One-to-One Bible Reading, and uh, it's, it's a groundbreaking title, I know. Um, and uh, it's by a guy named David Helm, and it's, it's basically a simple guy that you could read probably in an hour and a half, the whole book. And it will teach you how to read the Bible 
for yourself and then how to read it with somebody else. Uh, we have these for sale out there, six bucks. Um, that's the greatest deal you will find uh, because we lose money on every single one that we sell, but we wanted you to have it. Um, and so please, if you want to do that with somebody else, if you want somebody to do, do that with you, say, man, I just love to be discipled. Um, you need to be discipled. You need to be growing in discipleship. Maybe some of you have been discipled for a while and you need to disciple somebody else. This is a great way to start. Just take God's word and, and walk through it with someone else. But here's the thing. We can talk about all of that. We can set up the structure. We can give you the best resource possible, but you cannot disciple someone unless you have a heart of a disciple. And the heart of a disciple is what? Believe that his words offer us eternal life. We believe that his word causes us to love him more. That is the heart of a disciple. So my question this morning is this. Has his word become more true or less true in your life? Maybe you've never believed in his word. Maybe you would say, man, when I read the crowd, when I read the story and I see the crowd and they walked away from Jesus because his word was just too much. Maybe you would identify that with this morning. Maybe his word to you is, is less true. Maybe you've denied things about God's word that you used to believe, but now it just becomes juvenile and elementary or too primitive or too old, whatever it is. May, may I suggest that perhaps, perhaps the spirit of Christ is not dwelling in you. Maybe I, perhaps you never repented and believed in the gospel. And so this morning I invite you to do that. If you're not a believer, that you would repent and believe in the gospel. But perhaps for some of you, you are believers. And you say, man, I, I love Jesus. I want to know his word. I, I want to, but I'm just not reading it as, as like, I, like I would like to. I'm not, I'm not studying. I'm not, I'm not being discipled. I'm not in community. Maybe this morning that you just need to take that next step of, maybe you need to be in a part of a small group. Maybe you need somebody to disciple you. Maybe you just need your affections to be stirred to be in his word more. Whatever it is, I just pray for you this morning that the spirit of God would, awaken your heart that you would see and have a strong desire to be in his words so that you might know him and treasure him above all things. We have a wonderful savior this morning and we have his word before us, words of eternal life. Let us thank him as we pray.